This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 222 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Hello. Ruben Lerner. Everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about all of the things going wrong in Chuck's life. Uh, no, we're <laughs> going to talk about burnout. And it, I was telling the guys before the show that I am super burned out. I think a lot of it just goes back to this summer has been absolutely nuts. You know, there was a big family reunion and then podcast movement. And then I went to Wood Badge. And, you know, I've, I've been playing catch up on my weeks where I'm actually working. And, you know, I had a bunch of stuff go down this last month, which forced me to rearrange some things in my business, which has been work that I didn't plan to do. So I have this whole pile of stuff that I feel like I'm sort of caught up on. And then a whole nother pile of stuff that I just haven't been able to get done. And I don't feel like I can just eliminate it or postpone it. And so I'm not sure what to do with it. And yeah, so I'm pretty just tired and everything else because I've been pulling long hours trying to get it done. And I'm tired, which I think speaks a little bit to it too, is just that I'm physically worn out. And then, you know, I just, because I'm so tired, I also don't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with some of the things that should be relatively simple to deal with. And then... Yeah, I just, I've got a ton of stuff going on that I'm trying to manage. Mostly it's the remote conferences. You know, Mandy and I parted ways a little bit ago. And so I've been trying to make sure that the podcasts keep going as far as guests and lining people up and making things work and all that stuff. And then I've been trying to get my book written and I've got a bunch of webinars scheduled this year. And anyway, so I go on and on and on with all the stuff that I've got going on, but I am just exhausted. And so we thought we would talk about burnout and you know how do you deal with this i don't know if burnout's the right term because i've been burned out before where it was just like i just don't want to work i have been you know pushing this rock uphill for so long that i just can't conceive of working and i'm not really to that point i am just exhausted so i i don't know if it's uh burnout or just worn out or overwhelmed i don't know those are kind of the words that i would use so how do i, I fix have some questions <laughs> <laughs> help um. Help! I'm in this hole! Help! <laughs> well, let's talk first uh, before we pull you out. I'm always so curious about what other freelancers' life is like. So, do you have like a set workday, Chuck? Can you kind of give a few more ticky-tacky details about how much you work or how you structure your workday? During normal time or lately? <laughs> ah, well, I guess, that sounds I guess like it's part of the problem, yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, maybe maybe you have to speak to both, but I guess let's start with lately. I think that'll help the folks at home sort of better picture what what you're going through. Right, so in the morning I get up and I help the kids get ready for school, and then I actually take them to school. Then I usually come home and spend a little bit of time with my wife, and then I get to work. So I'm usually getting to work around 8.45 or 9. With that, uh, with the exception of Tuesdays and some Wednesdays, I'm usually working until about... 5.30 or so, though lately, you know, two or three nights a week, I'll wind up working until 9 or 10 at night, just trying to keep things mm -hmm. going. 
you work from home or do you have a separate workspace? So I I work from home. The last couple of weeks, though, I've actually been working from a co-working space in Provo, which is mm-hmm. about a half hour from here. But it's a really nice space, and I can plug in and get to work, and I can put my head down and work if I need to, but it's also nice because I get some of the social interaction that helps me break up my day and not feel like I'm completely buried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's probably two days a week that I'm working outside the house, and then the rest of the week I'm here. But Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the days that I record the podcasts, and so I'm usually here on those days. And I have gotcha. scouts on Tuesday evening, so about 4, 4.30 on Tuesdays after my last podcast, I'm usually pulling stuff together to be ready for Cub Scouts. And then Wednesdays, it just depends on what's going on. But yeah, that, that's kind of the week that I've been working I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't started working Saturdays or Sundays yet. Yeah. I have room to improve, I guess. Uh, it sounds way healthier than my work schedule, so good for you on that front at least. I know with, with my work, I often feel like, oh, I've got all these things to do. I know, I'll get ahead of it by just working late at night or just pushing off this, just pushing off that. And pushing off this or that often means things that would be good to do either for the family or for myself. Do you find that you're doing that a lot lately also? Like saying, well, I got all this work to do. I got to do that. So I won't X instead when X could be contributing to your, you know, family, mental health, marriage, however you wish to describe it. Uh, sometimes that's usually what I'm doing in the evening, right? Is I'm going to work instead of spend time with my wife. I also get stressed out sometimes because she needs me to be here and be with the kids. And if it's with the kids, then I can leave my office door open and, you know, they'll watch TV or do their homework or whatever and I can hear them. I can get after them if they need to do their homework or whatever. But if I have the baby, then I can't work because we have a nine-month-old and she just, you know. She will play happily on the floor sometimes, but there's no space in my office for that. So I'll take my laptop downstairs, but I'm not as effective when I do that. And sometimes she just won't let me do that. She she doesn't feel good or she's tired or she's teething or something and she wants to be held and, you know. I can't work when she's screaming at me, so... (laughs) You have poor concentration skills there. (laughs) Pay attention to your baby instead of coding. I don't know, Chuck. (laughs) Yeah. So, but you have help, right? You have podcast editing help. You have other forms of help, right? So can people can kind of get a complete picture of your situation? How do you outsource stuff? All right. So um, up until last week, Mandy was working on the conferences. I had just switched to podcast motor for the podcast editing and show notes and transcripts. I have oh, like for the podcast, you just you just show up, and then the rest is handled. By yeah, someone mostly else. yes. Okay, okay. And then I have a guy in the Philippines that's been helping me with YouTube and things like that. But I basically have him full time. So I realized late last week that I had been underutilizing him. So I'm definitely uh, picking things up there and handing him more things to do. And then um, I actually just interviewed. One of my neighbors had a sister that had done some online marketing. And so I interviewed her just to make sure that she understood kind of what I needed. And I'm probably going to hire her this week to help me with some of the marketing and email details and things like that. As far as getting speakers lined up for the next couple of conferences and getting the word out on those and helping me manage my online presence. All right, so I have a weird question, Chuck. So uh-huh. in two sentences, can you describe how your business makes money? Uh, yeah. Because I'm realizing I actually don't know. I mean, I'm asking for my own benefit here. Right. So the primary income for the business is podcast sponsorships. 
that's just to pay for my time uh, uh-huh. organizing everything for the, the shows. So yeah, so in two sentences, primarily we make money from the podcasts and we also make money from the online conferences. So we promote okay. the online conferences and we make money from that too. Okay. There's like There's affiliate stuff, but that doesn't bring in very much. That's interesting. I have, I'll pipe up and throw in not like any advice here, but just a, a story about what I've been up to. So normally I would try to take August off like the whole month. Reason being normally like a year ago, normally for me would be doing client work and August tends to be ter- a terrible month for client work because people are on vacations and getting in that last vacation before uh, school starts and stuff like that. So historically, for at least for my business, uh, August has been a slow month. And so it's a good opportunity to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take some time off. But my business has been shifting more away from client work and more towards, I guess, similar to the kind of business you have, Chuck. Not that I have a sponsor or anything, but the type of work is more similar in that it's not building things for people. It's, you know, it's, it's creating educational content and selling that or, uh, that's the direction I'm going in now. That's part of the pile of work that I've overwhelmed with. Yeah. So our businesses are not totally dissimilar in that they're not, you know, building stuff for clients. They're building stuff for me, which I then sell. And, And you kind of are doing the same thing with a podcast. It's sort of something you build for your audience and then monetize. I started working a three day work week in August and it kind of blew my mind because it started to rewire how I think about time. And I'll just, I mean, I'll, I'll out myself here. I had very sort of an unhealthy view of, of time before I did this or what I think is unhealthy for me, at least. I just thought of my business as an engine and the fuel for that engine was time. And if I wanted to, the business to make more money, my choices were to put more time in, you know, give it more fuel or somehow try to make it more efficient at converting time into money. Even though it had been a long time since I billed hourly at all. Like I haven't billed a client hourly in well over a year, maybe two years. So it's not that I was billing hourly, but I still had that that sort of mindset that I think is a byproduct of hourly billing, which is if I could just work a few more hours, I could get more done and that's what's going to make my business better. And moving to a three-day work week, I work Tuesday through Thursday and essentially have a four-day weekend. I wasn't able to perfectly adhere to this because I had some stuff that I just couldn't get done in three days. But it really has changed how I look at how I create value. And it's challenged me to look at the parts of my business that make money without adding more time and think about what I can do to sort of amplify those parts of the business or, or make those be the things that I'm really focused on. So I'll confess, Chuck, that's why I was interested in hearing your two-sentence explanation of how you make money. Because I wonder if there's an opportunity to just cut anything that's not related to that. Or just to pose the question of what would be the long-term effects if you did not do things that fell outside that scope of what makes you money? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, a lot of the focus, uh, you know, because, yeah, I've been working I've been working more time to try and get these things done. But most of it is around getting the marketing done for the conferences and 
lining up the speakers. I mean, that's that's been my main focus, especially because I have a conference that starts a week from tomorrow as we record this. And so I'm trying to get the marketing out so that I can get people to sign up. You know, as far as finding sponsors goes, the big things there are basically just reaching out to them and also just growing the audiences for the shows. And as I kind of get that as a focus, then, you know, then that kind of helps. And, and yeah, maybe I should prioritize toward the sponsorships simply because I, I tend to bring in more money that way. But I'm also trying to think ahead and podcast sponsorships. There's a lot of movement and I'm not sure if it's up or down for me. And so I'd like to get some other sources of income that aren't sponsorships just in case there's a major shift that shifts away from people wanting to sponsor my shows. I'm not convinced that's the case, but I'd, ha- I'd like to be a little more resilient to that. And so that's where, yeah, totally. that's where some of these other things come in with the ebook and things like that. And I suppose I could postpone the ebook or postpone it at least until after this next online conference. But yeah, I mean, beyond that, most of the stuff that I'm doing is focused directly around the conferences and the sponsorships and just making those happen. Yeah. I mean, the reason that I did the three day work week in August and, and now have sort of turned it into an ongoing experiment are, are not quite what I would call burnout. Like I, I sort of associate burnout with a feeling of <laughs> a feeling of dread around <laughs> facing your work or the right. challenges of your work. Or I, I don't know if that's how everybody thinks of it, but that's kind of how I think of it. So I think of it as you've pushed yourself too hard and something snapped <laughs> in your psyche and you just can't get excited about things. And I feel like there's always a, an upside to it. Like it creates some an opportunity for transformation and usually makes things better. I wasn't really facing that, but I was in the situation where I felt like I was just too tired in my interactions with mentoring students and, you know, even being a panelist here, I just kind of felt like I was losing my edge mm-hmm. and I needed to rest more. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, I know that feeling of like just being exhausted and not feeling like there's enough time to handle it. And I'm not at all saying that, oh, you should do a three day work week, Chuck. It's going to fix all your problems. But I, I've never been more clear about the importance of asking the question of like, how should I spend my time today, like in a conscious way? I was reminded of that when you're talking about, well, you know, do I emphasize growing sponsorships or growing audience or, or growing secondary sources of revenue? So I'm not 100% screwed if, uh, <laughs> if sponsorships change. Again, I don't know the answer, but I just know that you really feel that question in a big way when your supply of time is limited. We've talked a, a lot in the past on the show about the importance of saying no to people. And it always seemed to me like the whole point of saying no was to focus your business and really be sure of what you're doing and make it clear to yourself and so on and so forth. But I'm, I'm sort of a little, even a lot behind Philip in terms of understanding of time. And so, I mean, I've always, for as long as I can remember, easily 20 years and probably longer, I basically just pushed myself to squeeze as much as I can into a given day and or night and just keep going and learn more and do more. And on the one hand, it's very nice that I feel I've been doing a lot. On the other hand, I'm definitely getting to the point and the age and the family situation where, you know, it it would be nice to spend more time doing other things. I don't have to spend all my time doing all this stuff. And so I've started to have those sort of inklings of thoughts 
like Philip described of, well, what if I weren't to spend all of my time doing what I'm doing now? What if I were to sort of just pick out the things that are most profitable and overlap with most interesting, which overlap with sort of best for me in the medium to long term? Would I still be doing everything I'm doing now? And I'm starting to get the feeling that, no, maybe I would be sort of refocusing. For instance, I've been talking for a long time about doing some recorded classes, which I know that people pay for. And some people have made just incredible, shocking amounts of money from, which and I keep saying, yeah, yeah, I'll do that at some point. And maybe if I were to be a little smarter in terms of sort of refocusing myself, I'd say, well, an investment of a week, two weeks, three weeks now would big time pay off in the future. But it requires not only doing that, it requires saying, okay, and then in the future, I will not spend the time working. I will spend the time relaxing because that is an important thing to spend time on. And I think over the last year, and maybe, I don't know, I'm 46 now, like maybe I'm just getting old or something, midlife crisis sort of thing, I started thinking, well, I can't do it all, right? Like I, for the longest time I've said, well, if I just sort of push myself harder, I can do everything. And I'm starting to realize that's just not the case. I need to prioritize for myself, for my family, for my business. And so it's all sort of coming together. And it's a, a very sobering realization, truth be told, to realize that I, I can't do everything I want to do and I have to choose. But it's also sort of an opportunity to think about it. And I, I wish I had sort of thought about it years ago. And so I think to some degree, part of the, the, the deal with sort of avoiding being tired and avoiding burnout is to really sort of think and find those overlaps. Right. What what do you enjoy doing? What is their market for? What do you want to be doing? You know, what do people want? And then sort of you know, what's profitable. And if there are a few things that do that and then consciously say, no, I, I would love to do these other things. They're cool. They're interesting, but they're not as cool, as interesting, as good for me, which is very hard. And I'm still very, very bad at. Yeah, I'll, I'll say for sure, Reuven, that working fewer hours, fewer days out of the week, whatever, creates a vacuum. and. I think it's very tempting to think all these great things that I enjoy doing will rush to fill in that vacuum. And maybe it works that way for some people. It's not worked that way for me, partially because I would suspect a lot of the folks at home will resonate with this. You start working for yourself and you kind of fall in love with what you create. And (laughs) it's like, it's not like a, a breakup or a relationship ending but if you shift the balance to where you're not spending as much time on that thing that you still love, you're not just going to automatically show up on a beach with, you know, a little drink with an umbrella in it just because you decided to not work on Fridays or whatever. You, you actually have to construct something to go in there and, and be fairly disciplined about it. And this is sounding preachy. I don't mean it to be that way. It's just it's something I've found about shifting, the you know, the quote unquote work life balance. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think. I mean, I don't know. I, I try and be fairly deliberate about how I spend my time. And I, I put the stuff on my calendar and put all the stuff that I have to get done into the calendar as well. And what's hard is that there's more stuff than there is calendar, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know, I don't think this is going to be forever. And I do see that, you know, if I can get some of this stuff done, then I can actually then eventually I can get to the point where I can work a three-day work week. But I'm not there right now, and so I'm also wondering, you know, do I just push until I get to that point? Or, you know, maybe I can get there sooner and there's something else that I need, or some other way of thinking of it, about it that, you know, will get me that kind of lifestyle. Well, I want to be clear that 
I did not, you know, the three day work week was not me getting to the point where I was working four days a week and had nothing to do on Fridays. Oh, right. And then was working three days a week and had nothing to do on Thursday, Friday. It was a cold turkey thing. It was like, okay, I'm showing up at my first AA meeting for workaholics. What is that? WA. And, and they're saying, well, you just got to go cold turkey, man. Of course, it would be better to do some kind of incremental thing, I think. And, and I'm definitely not saying, well, you know, you've got this all wrong, Chuck. Um, I am very sympathetic to that place of like having the to-do list that's a mile long and everything truly is important. So I'm not saying this is a prescription to fix that. I just, um, right. I, I've no, been there too. That. I've been there too. And maybe some sort of cold turkey thing might be suitable or maybe some sort of investigation into how you could get more value out of the things that are already producing the most value in terms of revenue so that you can let some other stuff go or I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. I'm, I'm just in not that different a situation and have really have been there myself in the past. I had about a three month stretch that about killed me because I got behind on some client work obligations and I just was working literally was working seven days a week. Not very effectively, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've i always tried to do everything I can to avoid working on Sundays. It's as much for religious reasons as just for, you know, just having a day off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the rest of this is, okay, but then I wind up killing myself the rest of the week to try and get crap done. And, yeah, I mean, I think I think some of what you're saying makes sense as far as, okay, prioritize... You know, figure out what you need to be focused on and then just do that. But I feel like also I've made some of these commitments that I have to keep. So, for example, even if I decided, you know what, I think I can make it all go on podcast sponsorships. You know, I could just make it work there and then I just focus on making the podcast awesome and, Mm -hmm. you know, finding sponsors. You know, I've made commitments to people regarding these online conferences, and so I feel like I need to make sure that I'm fulfilling my, you know, what I said I do there, and you know, some of the other things that I've got going on. Again, you know, it's okay. Well, I told people that I was writing this book, and I've promised people copies and help in this area. You know, I don't feel like I can back out of that and keep my integrity intact. So. Oh man, I'm so yeah, that that's why I had that three month period of working seven days a week and and really not enjoying it was because I was unwilling to say to anybody, well, no, sorry, I I'm actually kind of a flake and you're not gonna get this thing I promised you. Yeah. So I mean, I could definitely, you know, spend some time thinking about do I want to do the online conferences next year? Or I could spend some time thinking about what can I do for these folks in lieu of the book so that I feel like I've done right by them? Yeah, I mean, maybe there's an opportunity to ship a more uh, minimal version of the same book concept. I think you're the one who mentioned that book, Procrastinate on Purpose. I did. That was me. Have you have you read that book? <laughs> yes, I have. Who's that's, writing it? <laughs> that's what I've been working on is it's like, okay, well, what can I eliminate? And right. there are things in there that I don't feel like I can eliminate. And then, uh, okay, so what can I delegate? And there are things in there that I feel like I can delegate. I mean, a lot of the marketing stuff, they don't have to be an expert in Angular to promote a conference, right? Mm -hmm. And anything that they do have to put in there that's specific to Angular, I can help them with that. 
but that's 15 minutes of my time instead of two hours of my time. Right. And so it's like, okay, you know, so I'm, I'm working on the delegation right now. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm also working on automating stuff. So podcast guest onboarding is getting automated. In fact, I'm pretty much right. done with that, but there are a few kinks I have to work out of it. You know, and then the podcast release stuff, you know, where I'm working with podcast motor to make sure that that all happens the way I want, you know, and so eventually those things will go away or mostly go away. But in the meantime, it's, you know, it's not something that is gone. But then there are other aspects, you know, that I just, I don't feel like I can put off and I don't feel like I can give up. So, you know, Mm. it's those things that I'm looking at and going, okay. I'm going to delegate as much of this as I can. I'm going to automate as much as I can and I'll, I'll have to do the rest. But part of delegating and part of automating is the setup and training. And so that's another thing that goes into that pile of stuff that's right in front of me. So I can see that as I plow through this and I get some of it automated and some of it delegated that, yeah, eventually I'll come out the other side and it'll be like, okay, I have another one of these things, automate, delegate, and then spend the minimal amount of time I have to spend on it to get it done. But right now I'm trying to set all that up. And so it's, it's just tricky. And I'm spending so much time working on the, you know, the nuts and bolts of the business that I don't get to do the content creation that I want to do. I don't get to focus on, growing the podcast audiences like I want to, because those are the things that really are the things that get me excited. But those are the things that I don't have time to do because of these other things. So yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a question of whether or not I can solve it today or tomorrow or whether or not I can cut the hours that I'm working. It's mostly just a matter of how effectively and quickly I can get this stuff off of my plate and either onto somebody else's or into a system that just does it for me. Yeah, and that uh, you know, the training someone to do something is a huge, this huge upfront cost. It's it's always that's been one of the things that's kept me from being an effective delegator for sure. Yeah, one thing I will say for that though is that this guy that I have in the Philippines, if I show him how to do something and then critique it once or twice, he gets it. And if it takes me twice as long, so for example, I'm putting up uh, landing pages for the webinars because I promised people that I would do those too. So I've got webinars this once a week. So, you know, I have to prep for them. I have to write the material for them. But as far as setting up the landing pages and setting up the pages for people to watch it on and things like that, I mean, I can show him once or twice and then he can do it from there. And so since I'm basically having him set up 10 webinars for me, I mean, even though I'm spending what would take me one or two webinar setups worth the time to show them how to do it, it saves me the other eight. And so with that, it's, you know, it's been worth it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, similarly with the conferences, you know, I show somebody how to send emails out to invite people to either submit to the call for proposals or invite people to come speak. And, you know, I I basically just have to give them a template. (laughs) And that's fantastic. so, so, So things like that, that, you know, have very low setup time, but have, you know, they would take me an hour or two to do, and I can have somebody else doing it in five minutes. I mean, those are the kinds of things that I'm trying to push off first. And then as I get to the other stuff, then it's just a matter of, okay, you know, let's grind through this, but I'm definitely aiming for those quick wins first. I I will also point out that talking about this is making me feel better. (laughs) If that makes Ah. any difference. Just because there's, I feel like there's a description of the problem and a description of the solution, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 
And um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think eventually yeah. I'll get to the point where I'm, I'm just working on the important stuff. And then if it's not all week long, then it's not all week long. I think this point to me, this points out a really important point. Uh, cause I'm, I'm such a critic of those blog posts that are just like from these productivity gurus and they're just like, do these things. And you know, the problem goes away because there's, I find there's always this lengthy, awkward, difficult period where you can see the solution. It's obvious to you, but you're stuck in, you know, like the remnants of the mess that I created for myself mm-hmm. a, a year ago uh, or, you know, whatever. You're kind of stuck in the the status quo, but you're trying to change it. And it takes time and effort and and emotional support from from people who don't just think you're a flawed person because you have this problem. Yeah. Well, and the way I see it, too, is that, you know, do I walk away from the crank? Because if I walk away from the crank, then nobody's going to turn it. But if I don't walk away from the crank, then I'm not going to find anyone else to turn the crank for me or be able to buy a generator and an engine or a motor to turn the crank for me. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's it's yeah, it's talking to, to people like you guys and having you say, you know what? It's OK to be tired when you're turning the crank and it's OK to walk away to try and find help periodically. Yeah. I'm looking up LDS alternatives to caffeine right now. We can get together a group group by whatever it is you need to get through this uh, this period, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, what what Philip's referring to is I'm Mormon, and Mormons don't drink tea or coffee. There's some debate within the church as to whether caffeinated sodas are okay or not. <laughs> so I speak uh, knowingly. Every religion needs esoteric arguments that to outsiders seem totally bizarre. Yes, and uh, that's that's <laughs> definitely one of them. I, I totally understand why that sounds completely weird to anybody outside. No, but like, believe me, Jews have a lot of those. It's okay. <laughs> I know a few Jews, and yeah, they, they'll keep talking about one of those, and I'm just like, what are you guys talking about? We've got to get a case of yeah. whatever that is. Yeah, and, and why does it matter? Yeah, (laughs) something that that I've tried doing and I'm not very good at it again, but is sometimes just saying because because again, I'll try try to push myself just to sort of uh, describe my work schedule. So I tend to get up early. I get up like six every morning. I have my Chinese lesson and then I get the kids off to school and then I go to do my teaching. Typically, I'm teaching for like six, seven, eight hours and then I come home with my family. And then when they all go to bed at like nine, ten o'clock, then I go for another two hours, three hours finishing stuff up. And if you're doing some math and realize hmm, that's not a lot of sleep, yes, you win the prize for mathematics. So I'm really, really, really trying to sleep more because I recognize when I do sleep more, I'm sharper. I feel better. People see it around me. People see me as more calm. But what I sometimes do is I just say, you know what? It's reached whatever time I'm going to bed. Nothing is so important that I have to stay up and do this. Now, how effectively do I make that argument with myself depends on what I'm doing. I'm sometimes a much... Much more convincing to myself than others. But being able to say, my sleep is more important, my time is more important, my family is more important, is a hard thing to do for someone like me, where I've been in business for so long for myself, and I've had this schedule for so long, and yet it's crucial. It's like the the first step to say that the world will not end if you walk away from this, you know, from doing this work right now. Yeah. Um, or if it will, maybe you took on too much. And it's it's really hard for me to admit sometimes I've taken on too much, even though any normal human would look at what I've agreed to do and laugh and be free of considering that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. You know, something that's related to that, Reuven, that I, that I see in my own work is, so, you know, as a part of this three-day thing, I've started saying, okay, I need to plan this time out because it's not like I can be frivolous with those three days or 
be unproductive and everything's going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have a trust fund funding me. My business <laughs> funds my life. So it needs to work, right? And so what I have decided I need to do is do the planning when I'm not in the middle of it, in the fray of doing the work, right? So that means you know planning the week, ideally planning out the week, or at least planning the next day, the night before, when I'm in a relatively clear-headed space about what's important. And I find that I am really tempted to alter the plan. You reminded me of that when you talked about staying up just a little longer so I can you know, finish <laughs> this thing I'm engaged in, right? That's probably how it works for you. Oh, yeah. And my feeling is like, okay, I've got this plan. There's just these three big important things that need to happen today, but let me just squeeze in this other thing, or I'd rather do this other thing, or whatever. The excuses are endless. And I'm beginning to realize that I am not in the best place <laughs> to decide how to allocate that time when I'm in the middle of doing the work. It's like two different frames of mind or two different forms of thinking. It's not easy, man. And I'm not saying, again, that this is the recipe for anybody. But for me, I think it's going to be important that I stick to the plan, dude. Otherwise, those three days are going to be much less effective than they could be over the long haul. Yeah, I do that. I put things into my calendar and say, I'm working on this at this time and this at this time and this at this time. And a lot of times I'm able to stick to it, but sometimes, in fact, probably half the time, what happens is um, my wife has some kind of emergency. She has to go pick something up or pick someone up or you know, some other thing comes up or some other opportunity presents itself and I don't want to miss it. And Mm -hmm. so then my schedule gets completely whacked out. And so then I'm trying to rearrange it on the fly, even though I set it up when I had a clear head and I wasn't in the middle Mm -hmm. of things. The thing for me is that I'll get into that troubleshooting mindset. So something won't work quite perfectly and I'll get into one of two mindsets. One is like, okay, if I can just troubleshoot this a little more, I can figure it out. Like maybe that would be trying to set up a landing page on some mm-hmm. platform like lead pages and it's it doesn't go quite like it's supposed to. And that troubleshooting mindset is one thing that can derail me from the plan. And it's always a judgment call. Maybe it really does need to be troubleshot and figured out in that moment. And then the other thing is just perfectionistic tweaking of stuff is the other thing that will take me way off the plan. Oh, I, I never another, get sucked into that. <laughs> I've just spent another <laughs> 16 hours on this, it'll be perfect. But, and, but how do you, uh, check, like, yeah. I, I've tried doing things like that. Like, okay, today I'm going to work on the following things. And I mean, I guess what I really need to do is just sort of avoid being laughably optimistic or outrageously laughably, you know, optimistic where uh, I'm probably not going to be able to do all 30 of these things today. So I should set up my schedule so that I won't then feel bad at the end of the day for not having gotten it all done and then try to push myself and so on and so forth. Like having a realistic sense of what I can do in a day is probably the the starting point there. I am the worst at that. (laughs) Because, you know, you look at it on paper and you're like, okay, you know, clean up my drip account. That's uh, (laughs) that's two words, (laughs) right? So that, that could just, that could be, you know, that sounds like about two hours, right? No, that's more like 20 hours worth of work when you really get into it. I'm the worst at estimating stuff like that. And I have no solution for people other than just to be pessimistic, I guess. And when I'm uh, estimating projects, my employee and I are on dramatically different ends of the spectrum. I am Mr. Super Optimistic. He's Mr. Super Pessimistic. So it's always very useful to sort of run things by him. But like that's for projects. It's a little hard to uh, do that on a day-to-day basis. 
Right. Uh, so uh, should I do the paperwork for the accountant or should I contact the insurance agent or should I work on this uh, new course? Right. Again, that's sort of yeah. feedback. What I should be doing is, is, is very personal. And I think I need to be tougher with myself in making these decisions. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, I, th- I think business requires far more discipline than most of us think when we get into it. I mean, I certainly had a very arrogant sort of perspective towards it. It's like, oh, it just seems easy. Create value and sell it to people. That's how you have a business. Yeah, just turn the well, crank. That's all you have to right. do. Just turn the crank. Right. Yeah, or just bill hours. Right. But <clears throat> really, when you, when you start to mature <laughs> in your business, I think it it asks more of us in terms of discipline and maturity and and mental toughness and all of that. I know that many people limit when they read and respond to email during the day, and I'm often tempted to do this. Okay, let's be realistic. I often like the idea. But I often feel like, no, I couldn't do that. It's kind of useful to read the email, and it's, I would say, almost addictive, even though I know it's bad for me to do. Have either of you guys done that? Have you found it to be useful and effective? My problem is getting myself to do that. I tend to schedule everything else, and I'm like, oh, i got to check my email. And so then what winds up happening is the way that I primarily land sponsorships is by emailing back and forth a few times. I know, I know the sales process pretty well at this point. I emailed people back and forth a few times, and then I do a Skype call with them. Well, I have to be checking my email in order to email them back and forth a few times, and I don't check my email that often. And it's not by any design. It's just because other things are more important to me. And so I have to force myself into it. So I have the other problem. Yeah, I'm probably on the opposite end in that it's very easy for me to kind of dwell uh, too much, spend too much time in my email inbox. So I've sort of loosely adopted the habit of pushing, responding to emails until the end of my day, whatever that is. So maybe around four or five o'clock, I'll have the intention to jump into my email inbox and and batch up any replies that I need to do. I am scanning it throughout the day, looking for stuff that's high priority. And surprise, surprise, (laughs) 99.9% of the time that doesn't happen, that there's something that shows up that could not have waited until four or five o'clock Pacific time that day. So I I guess I have a sort of hybrid of that best practice of, you know, only actually looking into your email inbox, peering into the void, (laughs) you know, two two times a day maybe. (laughs) But it's helped to at least say, okay, most stuff can wait. And that's a mindset that I think has been helpful for me. But I still have some progress to make in actually implementing that. What about things that have to get to you? There's just no such thing. Like what? Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess like earlier today, I had a client where they contacted me and said, hey, right, there's a server emergency. Now, as it so happens, <laughs> they, they called me and they said, hey, get on Slack because we've got this. So I was going to say, you example. have my phone number. <laughs> right. I, I guess that's sort of how it works then, right? You know, if it's really an emergency, they will find a way to get in touch with me. And Slack shows up on my phone. So if they really need it, they can do that too. So I just answered my own question. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I have to say, same thing with me, that anything that tends to be urgent or time-sensitive, there's another communication channel where that usually shows up, like a Skype instant message or Slack. So if you sort of include all of that under the umbrella, because it used to be that I think that people would use email for that. And I think we've, as a group, (laughs) as a community of people involved in technology have sort of trained ourselves or we've, we've got another option now. 
which is a more this more kind of real time feeling synchronous feeling thing called Slack or IRC or chat or whatever. I get interrupted by that all the time. And I allow it because that's part of how I produce value for people in my mentoring program is, you know, being available for quick answers via Slack. So I, I let that happen. There are times though when I have to close down Slack to get something done. Yeah, and see in where I'm at, you know, if a sponsor has a problem with the banner or the ad read or something if it's in an episode that's already gone out, there's literally nothing I can do other than try and make it up to them some other way. If anyone else is frustrated or upset with me and they send me an email, you know, it's pretty much understood that I'm not sitting by my email waiting for them to email me because it was an out-of-band, not-expected communication anyway. And then the people on my team, yeah, we have a Slack channel, but even then, I mean, most of the communication in there is, hey, I got this done, can I get some feedback on it? And so uh, the person that I'm hurting by not replying is myself because they could conceivably be moving ahead with whatever it is that I've prioritized for them. But none of those things are emergency things. And if the website goes down, like devchat.tv, if that goes down, if something dies there, you know, I'll get some tweets. It'll be down for a few hours, but ultimately it doesn't fundamentally change anything for me if it takes it a couple hours to come back. So, yeah, I mean, the, the kinds of emergencies that I'm dealing with are still things that can wait a couple of hours. And if something is really down, all of the people that I, I, you know, that I have working for me that are checking on this stuff, you know, because they check the help at devchat.tv email address, they know how to make my phone buzz. So that's kind of where things go from there. I'll see that I have a notification in Slack when I wake up in the morning, and then I'll go restart the server. Right. I mean, it's five years ago when I was doing mostly web development, and I even had people working for me. So I remember saying that at some point, I mean, my sister's a doctor, and I would say to them, look, if my sister makes big mistakes, or if she doesn't pay attention to someone for overnight, like, people can die. And with us, it's, you know, it's just their website. And I have clients for whom that is true, and I have clients for whom, no, no, actually, if it goes down, like the client I, who called me earlier about their emergency, they were running a big e-commerce thing, and they needed it to be up, because otherwise their customers were going to be upset. And, and we're upset. So, I mean, you have to sort of know how important yeah. it is, but like, it's still not going to be life and death. But even then, there are systems that can automate notifications and things. And Right. By the way, you, you mentioned before, Chuck, that you feel a little better talking about it. Uh -huh. And I think that's also an important point. Like, very often, just sort of talking about these things is really, really useful. And knowing that there are other people going through it and knowing that you know, it's, it's not you, or it's not only you, and that things will get better. Yep. Well, and like I said before, I mean, you know, I feel like I can name the problem, and I can name some ways to, you know, find a solution, or I can name the solutions, and just seeing them and talking through them with you, it just gives me kind of this roadmap where it's like, okay, it was a big, dark canyon, but now I can see the road up a ways, and I kind of get the idea that, yeah, it's going to be a climb, but it's possible. Right. Right, for sure. When I was, like, really sort of desperately upset about the progress of my PhD, and it looked like it was never going to happen, never going to finish, which was quite a bit of the time. But at some point, one of the members of my committee said to me, listen, the way this works is it's a war of attrition. Right? Like, every day, you just make a little bit of progress, and after, like, a month of that, 
you'll say, oh, I've made you know not a bad amount of progress. And after a year of that, you'll you'll really have a sense of accomplishment. And I really not only was that great advice for for doing the PhD, but it was great advice I found for doing a lot of things where the day to day feeling is that you haven't done that much, and you have to sort of have the perspective and look back over time, over weeks and months, and then realize, yeah, actually, I, I have gotten a lot done. Does that mean I get a PhD at the end of this? Uh, yep. sure. <laughs> You'll buy me it one on the internet a, for ten dollars, huh? Right, right. It might not be accredited the way you want. <laughs> you Small can fax, a fax him the there we go. PhD certificate. I'll, I'll fax you a copy of mine. I'll just they'll just be a little white out over the name. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just put some little pieces of paper over it. <laughs> Charles Max Wood Erner. <laughs> you missed a spot, dude. All right. Well, should we get to picks? Reuven, what are your picks? All right. So I've got uh, two picks. The first is the Giblet folks, the folks who have brought us a few other good podcasts, have a sort of new podcast. I say sort of because they brought it from Aust- all the way from Australia. It's called Science Versus. And it is fun and funny and interesting. And it basically takes on modern questions, you know, burning questions, and says, well, what does science have to say about it? And they are not afraid to, uh, shall we say, tick people off as necessary. So they had uh, two episodes on the very non, shall we say, hot debate of gun control in the United States. And what what does science say about that? And then they had another one about organic food. And uh, it's only been out for a few episodes, but the ones I've heard so far are, as I said, very clever and very funny. So that's pick number one. Pick number two is, as you guys know, I do a lot of traveling. And over the last two months, I've seen a ton of ads for the new Huawei P9 phone. And I don't think it was that that led me to get it. I think it was more the fact that my old one was running out of storage space and my elder daughter's phone died and I gave her my old one. But I just got a P9 and I am so, so happy with it. It's fast, it's snappy, it's like, beautiful screen. It has a super fancy camera on it, which if I ever use, it will be quite the modern miracle. Anyway, the Huawei P9, it's really definitely the best phone I've ever used. Anyway, those are my picks for this week. Awesome. I have a couple of picks today. The first one is yesterday was a holiday. It was Labor Day here in the US. So since everyone had the day off, including all of my family members who can't just take a day off because they feel like it or take a day off without checking with their boss, we all decided to go down to the local trout farm and all the kids got to go fishing. Our foreign exchange student got to go fishing with us and we had a good time. Uh, We fried up the fish afterward and had a barbecue as a family and it was a ton of fun. So I'm going to pick fish farms and fishing. Um, The nice thing about the fish farm is it's pretty much a guaranteed catch. I mean, the fish does have to bite still, but the nice thing about it is that they bait the hooks and everything else and, all that stuff, and then, yeah, they stock the pond with enough fish to where, yeah, you put the worm in there long enough and you're going to catch some. So we had a great time. The other thing I'm going to pick is just family and family time. And then, finally, the last thing that I'm going to pick is neighborhood groups on Facebook. Now, we have a group for our neighborhood, and when I was talking about hiring help on entreprogrammers, they mentioned, well, why don't you ask your church group or your neighborhood group. And so I did. And that's how I found this girl that I'm going to be hiring here within the next couple of days. And uh, it turns out she had the experience I wanted. She had done most of what I was going to be asking her to do before. And her current part-time job wasn't providing her opportunities to do it. And she was excited to be able to do that stuff again. So 
if you're looking for help, I'm just going to make the recommendation that you reach out to those kinds of groups, those church groups or neighborhood groups or family and friends groups. Incidentally, I had two sisters that were looking for work, but I've heard enough horror stories and talked to enough people that they kind of all convinced me not to even try and hire family. So I wound up finding this girl. I think she's like 19, and it looks like she's going to be able to take care of everything that I need her to uh, in my business. So anyway, those are my picks. Philip, do you have some picks for us? Philip's picks are the following. I have one pick, and I was so engrossed in the conversation, I didn't didn't do my homework <laughs> on picking, which you would think I would do before the show, but no, I usually do not. Re-recordings of existing albums are an interesting thing. I always love covers of other artists' work, and then occasionally a, an artist will like re-record an entire album. They'll do different arrangements of the same songs, or just re-record it, I guess, with more modern technology. Uh, Cowboy Junkies did one with their Trinity Sessions album, which I, I don't like the re-recording at all. And then I just came across another one by Natalie Merchant. She uh, re-recorded her Tiger Lily album. Uh, this one is called Paradise is There. And it's great. It's like, you know, kind of different arrangements, sort of different take, but the songs are the same. And it's it's good. So that's my pick for this week is, is that her most recent album, uh, Paradise is There the new Tiger Lily recordings by Natalie Merchant. Check it out if you like her music. Don't do it as an exercise in masochism if you don't like her music. Yeah, that's my pick for this week. All right. Well, thanks for uh, helping me feel better about my life, and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.